I hope you've enjoyed those little uh, vignettes that we've had opportunity to connect with people and uh, appreciate those who participated. I want to open up God's word this morning from Ezra. The book of Ezra chapter 3 is kind of a launch uh, this morning as we begin to think about what it means to start over. Ezra chapter 3, beginning here with verse 10. I'm going to ask those of you here to stand with me as in deference to God's word. And we're going to begin here with verse 1. Ezra 3, beginning with verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. A minister was giving a children's message one day at his church. He decided to talk to the children about what would make a good sermon in hopes of, of inspiring them to, to get into ministry, to maybe test that call. So he asked the question to the children. He said to them, what makes a good sermon? Of course, all the little kids raised their hands high and proud, and he said, yes, Johnny, uh, what do you think would make a good sermon? And Johnny answered, well, a good sermon needs a good beginning. Well, that's right, the pastor said. You're right, so right. That's what we call the introduction. Uh, kids, what else would make a good sermon? Well, at that, little Susie again rose her hand, and he said, little Susie, go ahead. Tell us what would make a good sermon. Well, she said, a good sermon needs a good ending. Oh, you are so right, the preacher said. We call that the conclusion, and it is one of the most important parts. Anyone else? Well, little Billy had his hand raised, so the preacher called in him. He said, yes, Billy, what's up? Well, Billy said, well, I know that you don't do it this way, but in a good sermon, the introduction and the conclusion should be as close together as possible. Well, this morning, I have the difficult task over the next few weeks, really. We're going to be shortening our, our services to some extent, which means I've got to figure out a way to make my introduction and conclusion be as close together as possible. And that may be a challenge for me. They, they, uh, uh, that may be welcome news to some of you this morning, but you're going to have to pray for me. The truth is, when I started into ministry at this church, I would regularly get complaints that my sermons were too short. That has not happened in years, however, so I, I don't know what that means. But this morning in the book of Ezra, we see the people of God have returned to Jerusalem. And in many ways, they're starting over. You see, Israel had experienced the pain of exile for 70 years. The Babylonians had conquered their nation forced most of them to leave their homes and to their great distress 
their temple, the holy temple built by King Solomon, the very symbol of God's presence among his people, and the very center of faith had been destroyed. And so for 70 years, they had been disconnected from the center of faith, unable to worship as they had been instructed to do so in Scripture. But as you know, our God is gracious. He does not forget his people. And so God does something surprising. Persia defeats Babylon. And King Cyrus of Persia declares that God has instructed him to let the people return to their homeland and rebuild the holy temple. You may be familiar, for instance, with the story of Nehemiah. He is called back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. Ezra is a priest, and his main concern is what he sees regarding the building of the temple. And so the scene here in Ezra 3 is that the foundation of this second temple is being laid. The people of God are beginning to take small steps in returning to the normalcy of worship. So the worship of God is happening where it had happened so many years before. But of course, it's so very different. Did you notice how Ezra describes it? He says they were worshiping as David had prescribed. They had proclaimed thanksgiving and sang to the Lord, He is good, His love toward Israel endures forever. But then I noticed something else. Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple did what? They wept. They cried. And why do you think they were weeping? Because they remembered the old temple. They remembered its glory, its gold, its grandeur. And when they look around, they see but a foundation. They see piles of rubble and piles of dirt. They see that this temple is going to be smaller and less impressive than the one they knew. Now, I'm sure that they were glad to be worshiping. I'm sure that they were excited about being back in their homeland. I'm sure they were appreciative of Cyrus assisting in the temple rebuilding. But it just wasn't the same. Ten weeks ago, we stopped meeting as a congregation corporately in response to the pandemic. I began right then to imagine what it would be like when we would finally get back together again. People sent me memes on social media. One of them, I remember, was a pastor leading his congregation into the sanctuary, and as they entered, they were hooting and hollering and dancing a jig. And the person said, this is Pastor Jeff, first Sunday, back together again. And I thought, man, you know, they may be right. Maybe I'm going to have to work on my dance moves a little bit. But then it dawned on me as things have gone along, it wasn't really going to be like that. I was thinking, boy, I can't wait to see your smiling faces. Well, look around. Most of your faces are covered with a mask, and so I can't see your smile. 
Boy, won't it be nice to get some hugs? I live off of that. We are a high-touch church, shaking hands, kissing, hugging, pats on the back. Lots of love going on here in this place. But now we're trying to figure out ways to keep you from touching anything. I was thinking, oh, won't it be great to sing together? Well, even our singing is subdued for obvious reasons. Boy, I can't wait till we open. Everybody will want to be there. Well, I'm not surprised this morning. Rather than a grand opening, it's kind of a slow rollout. Now, for those of you who come, I'm glad you're here and bless you. I'm glad, for instance, that you remembered to dress for the occasion. I was worried that some of you may have gotten so used to listening to me in your pajamas and slippers that you just might forget, but it looks like everybody is doing okay that way. And for those of you who are still joining us online, I want you to know that we do miss you, but together we're laying a foundation. And over time, we're going to get better at this. Over time, we're going to grow in our confidence. Over time, we're going to grow in our understanding of how to keep one another safe but also that we can come together and love and learn and experience the life that God wants us to have. But listen, there is a temptation, and we see it here, for us to weep and be disappointed, perhaps even critical of leadership or of God himself for the way things have turned out. But know this, we have a great God and he is good, and his love towards his people endures forever. Can I give you three things to think about this morning as we talk about starting over? First, let me say this. Let us not despise the day of small things. We're taking a small step this morning. The, the building of the second temple was not an easy endeavor. I'm not going to take the time to go through its history except to say Israel faced a lot of opposition from its neighbors. The prophet Zechariah knew that the people were struggling with this new reality that the temple wasn't going to be as big, wasn't going to be as splendid as Solomon's temple. And so the prophet declared in Zechariah 4.10, who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone. In other words, don't despise the day of small steps, small things, because if God is rejoicing as we begin, we should never despise what he is doing. We have a God, for instance, who delights in using small things to accomplish big things. Remember David taking a slingshot and killing the giant? A small basket with a baby was retrieved from a river and a people were freed from slavery. A widow gave her offering of two mites and Jesus said she gave more than vast sums given by others. And on that first day of Pentecost, a small group of confused followers of Jesus obeyed his call and waited and prayed in an upper room. Now, Caesar was not concerned about that little band of folks. Herod didn't care. Nobody in the world even bothered to notice that group. But when God came and shook that place, the world was different. 
don't despise the day of small things. Second, I want you to be reminded this morning that God has promised us his glory. Haggai was a prophet who was also concerned about the construction of this temple and the people's disappointment. But he declared this promise. He said, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Glory and peace, peace and glory in this place. Now, how could Haggai say that? temple was smaller, not near as grand. People late earlier had witnessed the Shekinah glory fall on Solomon's temple, but there would be no such experience with this one. Years later, the second temple would go through wars. The temple treasury would be looted. Enemies would come and go. It still stood. A man named Herod would come along, and he would expand it. He would make it greater. But did that make the temple beautiful because it had more gold and had more space? No. But one day, a child was born in Bethlehem. And eight days later, his parents took him to Jerusalem to dedicate him. You remember the story in the temple courts, we are told, in Luke 2, that an old man named Sibion had been waiting. We are told the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been told that he would one day see the Messiah. Well, that day in the temple courts, he is drawn to the baby Jesus. Remember, don't despise the day of small things. He takes Jesus into his arms. And he begins to praise God, and he says this. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. There's that word peace. He's got peace. He has peace. Why? He's got Jesus. He's found it. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And there you have it, that word. Glory, glory. And the glory of this place will be greater than the former, greater glory. Why? Because Jesus was there. Friend, here's the thing I want you to know this morning. The best part about worship has very little to do with the building it has everything to do with whether he shows up. Isaiah 43, 18 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Does it feel like we're in a wilderness today? Does it feel like we're experiencing a wasteland of disappointment in our communities? On that first day of Pentecost, the church waited for one thing, the only thing, 
And that was the promise of the Holy Spirit. They wanted nothing but the presence of God. The resurrected Jesus had ascended to heaven and they knew that they could not go on without him. So I ask you, are we desperate for him today? Could we possibly go on without him? Listen, our world can't. This pandemic has reminded us that World Health Organizations and United Nations can't save us from the reality that one day this world will end. Our nation can't go on without him. We see the impact of not understanding that every person is made in the image of God and should be regarded with respect and value. As a nation forgets God, we forget the value of each other. And oh, the consequence. Our church cannot go on without him. What we need more today than perhaps ever before is to be renewed in our love for him, our desire for him, our empowerment from him. We need to be humble and repent of our sin and represent the person of Jesus in our interactions with others. We pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly so that others, when they see us, they might mistake us for him. And the good news is this, he wants to come. He cannot be contained. You remember in that same temple, the moment that Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was rent in two. The curtain contained the Holy Spirit, the Holy of Holies, but God would no longer be separated from his people. And so the power of God burst forth from the temple. And so whether you are here in person or you're joining us in your living room or on the patio, he is right there even now. And so the Apostle Paul writes this, and I want you to consider this as we sit in the sanctuary with our masks on us. Listen to this, Paul writes. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, the glory of the Lord is not to be contained in a building any longer. It is in the people of God as God transforms us. What we need is to be sanctified by a Spirit today that we might carry the glory and the peace of God in our community. John Newton has become more and more a favorite of mine as I read some of his hymns and his poetry. You know that he wrote Amazing Grace. I won't go through his entire story. But one of my favorite hymns that he ever wrote is called this, None Upon Earth I Desire Beside Thee. One of my favorites. Let me read it to you. He says this, How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields drive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. His name yields the richest perfume and sweeter than music his voice his presence disperses my gloom and makes all within me rejoice 
I should worry always thus nigh, having nothing to wish or to fear. No mortal as happy as I, my summer would last all the year. Content with beholding his face, my all to his pleasure resigned. No change of season or place will make any change in my mind. And then listen to this, my favorite line. While blessed with a sense of his love, a palace, a toy would appear. And prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. No matter my situation, no matter my condition, if Jesus is there, it becomes a palace. Robert Murray Machane wrote these words. He said, You will never find Jesus so precious as when the world is one vast howling wilderness. Then he, like a rose blooming in the midst of the desolation, a rock rises above the storm. This morning, wherever you are, Whatever situation you are experiencing, you can have your own personal Pentecost. You can invite him into your life to take over. And no matter the situation you face, a prison, a pandemic, or poverty, repent of your sin and you'll find a palace. Because Jesus says, I got you. May that be our peace. May that be our glory. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would anoint your people with the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. That in this time when darkness seems to be winning, that we might shine with the light and love of Jesus Christ, that our faith would be, have a firm foundation built on the very presence of the one who brings peace and glory. Thank you for the salvation that you offer through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we long and we wait for you. Lord, even now, take over. Expose our sin. Expose the darkness within us. May we be wholly sanctified for you. May we enjoy your presence, even in the midst of prisons, poverty, pandemic, whatever it may be, Lord. May we find that with you there is joy and light and love. And may we spread that joy, light, and love to others. Oh God, have your way this morning. We need you. May we build this temple, not a building, but may the Spirit control us. And where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom and ever-increasing glory. In Jesus' name.